Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Ask Shane Anything, where you can literally ask me anything. Now, this episode is going to be a little bit shorter than usual. We're only going to have three questions this time, mainly because I've spent the last day and a half shooting 15 episodes of Pactor Factor, and it was a scramble to get an episode of that done for today. And now I'm doing this, and I'm running out of time. So it needs to be a little bit shorter to make sure I get an episode out to you guys this week. I think you understand. Uh, as a reminder, this show happens because some of you pledge at $7 or more per month at the Ask Shane tier. Without you guys doing that, this show simply would not happen. Now, everybody gets to watch the archive. We're not going to pull it away from people who aren't pledging at that tier. But if you really enjoy the show, it would be cool if you could head to patreon.com sifted and bump up that pledge to $7 or more per month. As usual, you guys have asked some great questions. Let's get to them. The first question for this week's episode comes from Kevin. Microsoft buying Activision is something we never would have dreamed would happen. What are some crazy things that have happened in the games industry that you never imagined would have happened? Well, I'll say one thing. I think any of you who use Sifted would agree that the games industry really keeps you on your toes. If you use Sifted on a daily basis, it's kind of like a, almost like a soap opera. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, like stuff will happen every week and then the following week there'll be follow-ups and eventually you get to the bottom of it. Like it's a whole saga thing. And if you're not using Sifted every day and you should be, you're totally missing out on the drama of the games industry. So it's not easy to pick. I'm gonna get, Look, I'm going to try to cut this down to like three or four because otherwise, one, I'm going to end up talking about each one of these way too long. And again, this episode needs to be shorter. And two, I could literally just go on forever because there's been so many. But... I guess I'll share the ones that shocked me personally the most. Uh, the first one I'll start off with is Microsoft buying Rare. Um, I was a young games journalist in the industry when this happened. I'd only been working in the industry for a few years. Um, I was the GameCube and GBA editor at GameSpot. When GameSpot, for a very brief period, tried to emulate IGN, where they had specific people working on each channel, um, I was the GameCube and GBA guy at GameSpot during that time, and I was covering Nintendo pretty hardcore at that point. I'm talking to Nintendo on a daily basis. Like, there would be a new story. I would call them to get comment. Even if they were like, no comment, that still was a comment. Uh, so I was working really closely, sort of on the news beat for Nintendo at the time. And I had some pretty good sources back then who were feeding me information and telling me stuff before what happened. And I got no inkling that that was coming at all. And not only was it shocking, um, just the fact that Nintendo would sell Rare or let Rare go because they were a perfect match. They're still a match made in heaven, by the way, in 2023. Um, it was that they sold it to Microsoft. And I think that was very short-sighted on Nintendo's part. I think Nintendo underestimated Microsoft's commitment to the video game industry. I think it thought that Microsoft, oh, this new Xbox thing, it didn't do very well, they're going to go away. That never happened. And here we are, like 20 plus years later, and Microsoft still owns Rare. And I just, I still can't believe it, honestly, that it happened. Because, again, they were a perfect match. Nintendo hardly ever allowed outside development studios to work on its biggest IP and Nintendo handed Rare Star, Star Fox and basically be, it became kind of half of Nintendo's first party output during the N64 era and I would argue made probably four of the top six or seven games on the Nintendo 64 and then you go to GameCube and easily the best looking games for GameCube were coming from Rare. You could see it already and unfortunately a lot of those games we never got 
They ended up being released for Xbox later on and changed in a lot of ways. Like Cameo Elements of Power was drastically changed from what they showed on GameCube to what it ultimately became on Xbox. It just, to me, it made no sense other than the, the fact that Microsoft was hoping to steal away a big second-party developer from Nintendo. So that that really shook me to my core. Another one that I never, ever saw coming was Nintendo Wii. Again, I still had those contacts that I was staying in touch with through that era, through the Wii era, um, with Nintendo contacts. And again, not an inkling that any of that was coming. I had no idea, no clue. When they showed the Wii for the first time, the revolution, whatever the heck you want to call it, it blew my mind. Because again, it was just, it was so disruptive and so different from anything that come before. And I just, I guess I would say if I had to pick one of the big three to do something like that back then, it would have been Nintendo. So that part maybe wasn't so surprising, but that any of the big three had the guts to kind of base an entire platform on motion controls at that point, that was insane. So definitely the Wii caught me off guard was something that I didn't see coming at all. Um, a lot of other stuff has to do with announcing things and price points. Um, PlayStation 1 selling at $299 after Sega had just announced Saturn for $399. That's a big moment. That's one that I didn't see coming. Um, I didn't honestly see, see PlayStation coming. As far as PlayStation becoming a big player in the market, um, I've mentioned this before, but I had a buddy who was booking like a weekly club gig in Philadelphia at the time. And uh, he told me that PlayStation, because he knew what I was into games, and I was working on a gaming website, and he told me, he's like, hey, PlayStation, Sony just contacted me and asked me if it would be cool if they brought these gaming kiosks into the club for a night. And he's like, do you think that's a good idea? And I was like, well, yeah, why not? Like, uh, I thought it was a great idea at the time, but I never saw PlayStation. Like, I still don't quite get it, because I remember when I first saw the games on PlayStation, I was like, those are hideous. The games look so terrible. I think really PlayStation was just smart in marketing it to an older audience. Um, I think that was a perfect time to do something like that because a lot of older players who had played games in the 80s still enjoyed playing games, but there was a stigma around sticking with games after you're like 18 or whatever. I think PlayStation kind of dispelled that. So I didn't see the success of PlayStation coming at all. I thought it was going to be a flash in the pan. I thought it'd be like a 3DO or something like that where it would show up and then no one would buy it and it would go away. Obviously, I didn't see that coming. I was wrong about that. I didn't see the success of Minecraft coming at all. I remember at game trailers, a couple guys, a couple of our video editors after work were playing it back in the back and I went and checked it out and like they were excited for it. They had sat and waited for it to unlock on this crappy like GeoCities website. And I looked at it and I was like, why? Like, why would somebody want to do this virtually when you can just buy Legos or Lincoln Logs or whatever else you can use to build in the real world? I never saw that coming. I never really thought that it would become as big as it was. Now, I could see that there are some people who are interested in it, so I didn't think it was going to be nothing or a flop. I just never could have dreamed it would ultimately become one of the best-selling video games of all time. So um, I missed that. What else did I miss? Um, Grand Theft Auto 3. I never saw that coming. I checked out the game. We got it early at GameSpot when I was there because Jeff Gerstmann and Ryan Davis had kind of discovered it and were championing it. And I just thought it was gross, honestly. <laughs> because you got to remember, Grand Theft Auto 3 didn't have the funny writing. It didn't have the irreverent comedy. It wasn't like a mashup of pop culture 
whatever, all mashed into one video game that just happened to be kind of violent and out of bounds. It was just kind of violent and out of bounds. I honestly thought the people who are really into Grand Theft Auto 3 were kind of depraved. I'll be honest with you. Like, I watch people playing it, and I'm like, what's the redeeming value to this other than, like, satisfying your violent urges? So I never saw Grand Theft Auto 3 coming. If Grand Theft Auto 3 had been more like the Grand Theft Autos that would follow, I think I would have understood it more. Um, because just the, the sarcasm and the parody of pop culture, if that were in the first game, I would have seen it coming. But it wasn't. And so I was just like, how many creeps are there in the world who are going to want to play this game? I really looked at it that way. And I was obviously totally wrong. And then going back way further than that, I guess I would say one of the first things that really shocked me in the games industry, other than just getting a console that I could play at home because that concept didn't exist before, was ColecoVision. Um, you got to understand, back in the 80s, there were arcades that where everything looked awesome, the games looked incredible. And then you went home and you had to play like these gimped versions of it. Just check out Pac-Man for Atari 2600 for a reference there. To finally have a console that was arcade perfect, it, I never dreamed that that could happen. So the first time I saw ColecoVision, that was something else that happened that I didn't see coming because all the other consoles before that were nowhere near close to replicating the arcade. So... There are tons and tons more. Again, I didn't. I only wanted to keep it to a few because I knew this question could go on and on. But if I had to pick sort of the things throughout my history with games that really stood out for things that I did not see coming, I guess those are the ones. <laughs> Next up, we have a question from Neo JD. We all know you're big on the Steelers and Penguins, but are you a fan of other sports? Do you watch the World Series, the NBA Finals, etc.? Uh, let's see. So you're right. I am a big fan of the Steelers and the Penguins. Penguins chair there. Um... And I'm not really a big fan of the Pirates. And I think it's maybe a little bit shallow that I'm that way because the Pirates haven't won anything since like 1979. So let's do the math there. That's over 50 years since the Pirates have done anything significant. If you want to call me jumping off the bandwagon after 50 years, fair. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but just because of that reason, I just have really lost touch with baseball because I also would say that like, I think baseball as a league sucks. Like, leagues that are don't have salary caps screw you like there you cannot create an even playing field if there's not a salary cap and so every year you watch the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Mets all these big market teams spend like literally like seven times the payroll of the Pirates and then they still don't win I just think the sport is broken um basketball I don't really have a favorite NBA team there is no Pittsburgh NBA team um, so I don't have one. I guess it's the 76ers. I lived in Philadelphia for, you know, quite a while going to college and everything. So I kind of latched onto the 76ers with a lot of my friends there. So I guess they're my favorite team, but I don't even really watch much basketball until it gets to the playoffs. I'll watch the Sixers playoff games. Once they're eliminated, I don't really watch basketball again until like the finals, maybe. Um, so I like the NBA, but it doesn't resonate with me all that much. Definitely NFL and NHL are my favorites, probably because they have more of an edge to them. They're more violent. I don't know what that says about me, particularly after my comments about Grand Theft Auto 3. Um, so I do kind of resonate with those sports. I also used to like MMA a lot when I worked at Spike, but since I left there, I, I don't really watch it that much anymore. Um, and I would also say, too, that I enjoy playing baseball a lot. In fact, it's probably my favorite sport to play. I just don't like watching other people play it. What I liked about baseball was that every pitch, you never knew what was going to happen. So you literally had to be on edge at all times for every single pitch because the ball could be coming to you. You have no idea. 
That's one thing I liked about baseball. Unpredictable. Football, it's like, oh, you don't know where the play's going. You kind of do know. Like, based upon what's happened in the game earlier, if, like, someone on your defense is getting run over, you know the other team's going to keep running at them. So you do have a little bit of an intuition there about what's going to happen next. So baseball really kept me on the edge of my seat. It was also the sport I was best at. I was always an all-star. I was in AAU. Um, I played high school ball. Um, but I don't like watching it at all. It's very weird. Um, and I've never really had a chance to play hockey. I play it now, but growing up, it wasn't offered where I lived, but yet somehow I've really resonated with it and learned to love the sport a lot. So in an NFL's always been there. Um, I've played football my whole, I've played football my whole life. I played in a national championship game in Pop Warner when I was in like the fourth or fifth grade. Um, and I enjoyed playing football probably as much as baseball. It was a lot of fun. Um, but for whatever reason, I don't even know if I could say whether football or hockey is my favorite. Like, it vacillates probably or oscillates between the Steelers or the Penguins, probably based upon how they're doing, honestly, if I'm going to be fair about it. So, um, yeah, I guess I would say I'm not a big fan of other sports besides football or hockey, but I do respect them, and I respect the athletes, and I respect the fans who do enjoy them. So if you like basketball and MLB, totally cool with me. They just don't resonate with me as much as football or hockey. All right. Our final question for this week's episode comes from Kevin Holdsworth. If the Duck Consulting Agency was hired to help developers and publishers lower game budgets, what are some obvious low-hanging fruit changes that they can make? People always ask me, like, if I could make a video game, what would I make? Do I ever want to go into game development? And I always say no. <laughs> I have no interest in it, and I've said this before, but the reason I don't have any interest in it is because I've talked to too many developers who were just beaten down by the time they got finished with their game. So I don't have a lot of interest in it because I've seen the people who make games generally aren't very happy. And I'll be honest with you, most of them do not make the money that they deserve. Um, when you think about the profits that are generated by some of these video games and the hours that they're asking from these people, like, I know people think making games is glamorous. It's really not. Like, until that game launches, it's a grindy job where you sit at a PC all day every day, like a lot of other jobs we all do. It's not that exciting to make games, honestly. The idea of it is exciting. The actual nuts and bolts of doing it is not. So I've never really had an interest in jumping the fence and making games. I wouldn't mind maybe being like, you know, an embedded consultant helping them make the game better. Would I actually want to make the game though? No. However, having worked in the games industry long enough and talked to a lot of developers, I do think I have a pretty good idea on how to cut costs for the most part. Um, the first thing I would say is no matter what, first of all, try to keep your employee headcount down as much as possible. That is gonna be your biggest expense no matter what. Try to really keep the people who are working full-time and getting paid full-time to work on the game down to, like, a few people. Obviously, we're building an indie game here. We're not building some big AAA, big budget thing. So just keep that in mind as we go here. So first of all, try to keep the head count down. Once you have established your head count, make sure almost all of them are freelance contract workers so that you're not on the hook, and I hate to say this, so you're not on the hook to give them uh, health insurance or 401k. You just, you can't afford that. If you're an indie developer, you can't afford it. So... First of all, I'd say make sure any, keep your head count down. What employees you do have, make sure that they're independent contractors, freelancers, and they're not staff employees. And then lastly, I would try to find labor in other countries. I hate to admit it again, but that's just the sad truth. A programmer in another country generally is just as good as a programmer in the United States. Um, and you can save so much money by hiring people overseas to do the work than you would paying Americans to do the work. Um, our last disastrous redesign at Game Trailers when we designed the website, it was awful. 
Um, we worked with people from Belarus, and it was a bit of a nightmare because they would work overnight while we were asleep, and then we'd get up in the morning, we'd see what they worked on, and then we'd have to send them notes. And there was a huge language barrier. We would send them notes and tell them to fix stuff, and they would work all night and fix the wrong thing. So I'm not saying that it's a smooth thing that when you work with people, when there's a language barrier and they're working while you're sleeping and vice versa, it can be rough, but you'll save so much money if you do that. So I definitely recommend that. The other thing I would say as, work, as someone who works in the media and has worked in the media and has worked in video production is produce all your promotional media yourself. If there's anything that YouTube has proven over the last 10 years or whatever, it's that generally most people can, can at this point create pretty good video content. So find the guy on your team who's pretty good at that and have him make all the trailers. Have him do all the interviews for the game. You can spend hundreds of thousands of dollars working with agencies on that kind of stuff. If you can find a guy on your staff who's pretty good at that stuff or good enough at that stuff, definitely have them do it instead of paying for it. Um, forget completely the idea of having a flashy CG trailer, launch trailer, debut trailer. No, <laughs> you can't afford it. You're going to waste so much money on a flashy trailer. When you can build one yourself, that will tell the story of your game as well as any flashy trailer could. It may not just look quite as good. Um, and then I would say, make sure you release your game for PC first. And that is simply just to avoid the platform fees. So release it on PC, where you're not going to have to pay somebody a royalty for every game sold. Although ultimately on Steam, you will have to at least a little bit. But you won't have to pay the fees that you have to pay the platform holders at PlayStation and Nintendo and Xbox. That stuff adds up quick. So I would say release on PC first. If you have a hit on your hands, then start investigating releasing it on the consoles where you're going to have to spend a little bit more of the money that you make to uh, keep the game on their services. Um, the other thing I would say too is make sure your game has a unique selling proposition, a USP. There needs to be something about your game that you can share in five or 10 seconds that will get people hooked on the game. And this is all in the process of saving money on marketing and promotional costs. If your game has a hook that people want to talk about, the marketing is free. You'll have people like me on Game Face talking about it. You'll have all my colleagues on the other podcast talking about it. Free marketing is the best mar marketing that you can get. Another thing I would say, use an, uh, an existing game engine. Do not build your own game engine. There are so many game engines that you can use now for free and you only have to pay once the game goes on sale. So don't waste your time and your money building your own engine. Use an engine that you can learn to build a game for free. In all honesty, it's better for you too. If you want to have a, a, a career making games in the industry, learn how to use Unreal Engine because <laughs> that's what most jobs are going to require of you. So if you're killing two birds with one stone. You're building the game and you're learning skills that could apply to working in other studios in the future. So make sure that you use an engine um, that someone else has built that you can use for free. Non-celebrity talent. Don't use celebrities for your voiceover. You can get great voice acting for really, really cheap. If you just pick people who are unknown and haven't built up a huge resume, you can get good voice acting for cheap. And the other thing I would say is try to keep the voice acting to a minimum because you're going to have to pay for it one way or another. So for your first game, try to make sure that there's not a ton of voice acting in, in there because even if you don't pay a celebrity, it can add up fast. Purchase as much as you can as far as art, 
assets and code is concerned. Um, having to pay an artist to do all your art, that gets really expensive. Use an AI tool to do art for your game. Um, use all the technological advancements that are there right now to help you make the game cheaper. So, you know, don't pay an artist to do that stuff. You can, you can just buy the art. You can buy code in a lot of cases. Um, or you can use AI to do the art for you, and you'll be shocked at some of the results that you get out of that. So I guess that's where I'll stop. There are other ways that you can cut down costs for sure. Um... But I think those are the most obvious, low-hanging fruit ways to do it. Uh, so I guess making games isn't cheap, but I do think if you're crafty and you have a lot of skills on your own, you can make one fairly cheaply. All right, that's it for this week's episode of Ask Shane Anything. Again, I apologize for having a little bit of a shorter episode, but I think you guys would rather get a little bit of a shorter one than not get any episode at all. Another thing I should mention is we took down the link in the header for questions for Ashane Anything because we put the link for questions for Pactor Factor up there and now we've put the link for Ashane back up there. But what I'll say is like taking that link down made a huge difference. We have got like hardly any new questions since last week's episode um, and we're going to need them for next week's episode. In fact, one of the questions was like way, was asked like weeks ago um, and I slid it into this episode because it was kind of evergreen. Uh, but we need more questions. So click that link in the header at sifted.net and you can ask questions 24-7, 365. And uh, we'll go and collect them for next week's episode and we'll get another episode ready to go. So thanks to everybody. Appreciate again that you guys are okay with me doing a shorter episode this week. It'll be back to full length next week. Have yourselves a great weekend and we'll see you for Game Face on Tuesday.